the end of last year, we taught a series on the blessing. And in that series, what we did was we said that, you know, truthfully, we are inheritors of Abraham's blessing, the blessing God gave to Abraham. As Christians, we inherit that very blessing. You may not have thought that you were blessed, but that is part of that which you receive from the Father as you are in Christ. And we learned at that time that it's not just about being blessed, it's about being a blessing. We are called to be a blessing. And then from that, we went into a series with one or two little diversions called The Difference, because we realized that, you know, in order to uh, avail ourselves of this blessing, we need to position ourselves before God to receive it. You know, if you're not there or if you don't show up, you don't get the, the, the prize, you know. And so we learned then at that point, we, we spoke about holiness. And, and, and holiness is not just something for the saints and the good and the godly. Holiness is something, it's about dedicating yourself. It's about, uh, it's, it's about living a life that, that uh, uh, you know, uh, shows and models the fruit of God's work in you. It's not just by being good on a Sunday and minding your P's and Q's. It's so much more than that. So we taught that, and that was an effective uh, and uh, blessed many people. But then we realized that actually when we walk in holiness, it's, it's tough. So how do we do that? How do we walk in Christ-likeness, as we, as we like to call it? And, and we started this series two weeks ago uh, called uh, Empowered, which is really about which is really about what the Bible calls grace. And that's not a word that is fantastically popular or, or, or familiar in our culture and society. Uh, I mean, the technical term of grace, the technical definition would be unjustified uh, gifts or, or unmerited mercy, something like that. It's, it's something that is given. But actually, what we're at pains to try and teach you that is, is this, that, that grace, this thing that the Bible speaks of called grace and and, and, and clever and holy and religious writers talk about, when we talk about grace, we're really talking about God's gift to us which empowers us for living, which empowers us for living. And the, one of the key texts in all of this has been Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. I think we might have that on the screen. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all, all people. You know, the gospel, the good news about Jesus coming to save us all. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. You know, I've often thought it must be easier to be a Christian in some lovely place that isn't torn with division and torn with problems and torn with marriage breakups. And but it's actually what grace does. It enables us to live a godly life in this present age. It's intensely practical. And so we've been trying to understand that. Mark launched the series, and uh, Dennis picked up the baton last week. And today, I want to talk about growing in grace, growing in grace. And if we have a key verse for that, it may well be 2 Peter 3.18, I think it is. But now, in the grace, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Grow in this grace. Grow in it. You see, this is a gift that goes on giving. It's not like Christmas Day where one minute you don't have a toolkit and the next by the, you know, your, your, your spouse, your wife buys you a lovely toolkit. You didn't have it and now you have it. Now you have everything you need. You didn't have it, now you have it. Grace is not like that. We grow in grace. 
Excuse me, I'm just going to cough here. We grow in this grace. So we keep coming back to God so that we might grow in it. We might grow in the ability to overcome. We might grow in the ability to uh, grow in, in Christ-likeness. So we are on this journey. And, and this empowered living, that we love to call it, empowered living, say that with me, take that phrase away with you. Empowered living is what we need to be Christians in this present day. Amen? Amen. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at today. Empowered living. Dennis came up with a nice little definition of, um, of, of grace. And uh, I think you were quoting Bob Crane, weren't you? I, uh, so, and what Bob Crane said, it's, if grace is the empowering presence of Jesus to be and do all that God has called us to be and do. The empowering presence of Jesus to be and do all that God has called us to do. Now, I'm going to go off on what seems like a rabbit trail here, just for a couple of minutes. But I want you to stay with me, because it is going somewhere. The Church of Jesus Christ at the moment, the wider church, and Fliss and I have had the opportunity to visit a few other churches this year, and there's a few more to come. I think we're doing five churches in August, aren't we, in the States? Something along those lines. There is a movement, and we're part of that movement, and we're enjoying that, where everybody uh, who are on the cutting edge of Christianity in our worship talks about the presence of God, the presence of God, the presence of God. We, we hunger and thirst for the presence of God. Now, do not hear me wrong. I love the presence of God. In fact, my daughter and her husband wrote a, a song which has gone worldwide called I Love Your Presence, and I, I, I'm not... I'm not going to argue with my daughter. I, I really am not, you know. I love your presence. You know, there's, if you look on the, the, the internet, there's presence ministries this and presence ministries. We're all going, we're all, we're all feasting and, and longing for the presence of God. And there is nothing wrong with that. In fact, when you came into church this morning, when you came into this building, and we've had this story many, many times, and the truth of the matter is, as those of you who have been next door will already tell you, when you go in there, there's a, there is something about that place. There is something about this place. People who are, would not say they're followers of Jesus come into this place, and they often say, what is this place? It seems incredibly peaceful here. And then they'll, if they're feeling brave, and maybe that happened to you this morning, they'll come into the worship, or maybe they'll just sit out there and enjoy a coffee and a donut, but they'll come through into the worship, and very often one of the common responses is they start weeping. Very, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. This has happened countless times, and they're rather disconcerted by that. And sometimes that actually freaks people out because they don't, what, what is the matter with me? I can't stop crying when that worship, that, that music starts, that community singing. I, don't, I can't stop weeping. Now, what we say to them gently and carefully is it's the presence of God. And it is not possible to come into the presence of God without being affected in some way or another. That's why very often when we're ministering to people, we'll see people trembling and shaking. We get used to that. Flesh, when it comes into the presence of God, reacts. It's almost involuntary. So don't let it freak you out. People falling down and stuff like that. But the point I'm trying to make is this. And I haven't got there yet. I realize that you're probably confused. Our dear pastoral assistant 
Carol and one of our feed members, uh, Tracy, as some of you, I think, know, were invited to the palace, you know, the Buckingham Palace, to a garden party about six weeks ago. And uh, that was a tremendous honor. And they went there, and they were told that they would be in the presence of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. How many of you have ever received a, 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 an invitation or something where it says that you're going to be in the presence of the right honorable so-and-so and so-and-so? That's the kind of way that some formal invitations are, are given. And in fact, what that actually meant for Carol and Tracy was they got to the garden party with about 8,000 other people, and they saw this pink blob at a, far, at a great distance. <laughs> and somebody with a pair of binoculars said, it's the queen. <laughs> they didn't shake her hand. I thought they would, but they, they didn't shake her hand or anything like that. You see, you can be in the presence of Her Majesty the Queen, but never actually get to meet her or anything. And what concerns me a little bit is that the contemporary church today, in this, this wonderful, and it is wonderful, passion for the presence of God is actually not going quite far enough. It isn't going far enough. We cannot get stuck with just or satisfied with the presence of God because we can be in his presence and still be a million miles away. The presence of God is something that man and beast respond to, you know, the presence of God is something that anybody and everybody can, can appreciate and can, can sense. The presence of God is an Old Testament preoccupation. Moses said to the Lord God, your presence must go with us. Because if your presence doesn't go with us, we will, how will they know that we are your people? You know, the presence of God was, there, was the defining thing. <coughs> But actually, what the New Testament, what Jesus holds out to us is not the presence of God, it's fellowship with God. It's fellowship with God. We're not stuck behind a pillar, you know, a thousand yards away from Her Majesty the Queen in the restricted view seats. In the presence of God, as a follower of Jesus, we have fellowship with God. And Ephesians tells us that actually we get to sit next to Jesus. So, folks, a, a word to the wise. As many of you go off to Bible camps and New Wine and also Survivor and all these other things, and as you think about this, celebrate and rejoice in the presence of God. It is a defining thing. I would not have it any other way. I love the presence of God. But don't stop there. Don't set up camp there. Don't make that your magnificent obsession, the presence of God, as some are doing in the Christian church. Press on into fellowship with God. Now, having said that, I have really laid the table so you will now understand, I hope, please God, what I'm about to say. Because what I'm about to say is the secret of growing in grace. It is actually not growing in grace so much as growing in Christ. And that's the key to empowered living. Growing in Christ. 
So what does growing Christ mean? Not too many surprises here, I'm afraid, but I'll do the best I can. It means we have fellowship with God. And how do we, how do we encourage that? And I just want to read again, just, just that thing, I, just, just because I want to really nail this to the mast so that you go away and I'll just read that verse that I read at the end of the worship. This is from the New Living Translation, which I'm currently using in my devotions. I'm just sort of going on a little holiday from the NIV, and I'm using the New Living Translation and enjoying it a lot. So 1 John chapter 5, verse 20 says this, And we know that the Son of God has come. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we believe the Christmas story, that God came down, Emmanuel, God with us. We know the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. We can truly know God. Whatever your background, whether you came from a church family, whatever your gender, whatever your sexual preference, whatever your, your, your color of your skin, whatever, we can know God. And now it says we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the key. If we have Jesus, we have a passport to eternity. A passport to eternity. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. So how can we foster this relationship with Jesus? Well, fostering a fellowship, a fellowship with Jesus. First of all, forgiveness. Often this seems to come at the end of these kind of talks. I want to put it right up front. It doesn't matter how well you know your Bible or don't know your Bible. It doesn't matter how many hours you spend in prayer or don't spend in prayer. If you are harboring unforgiveness, you're in trouble. I'm going to say it again. Watch my lips. You are in trouble if you are fostering resentment and unforgiveness. You may be the victim. It may not have been your fault. You may have been victimized. You may have been sinned against. You may be longing for vindication. You may be sick and tired of seeing your ex-partner prospering and happy while you're struggling to raise the kids. Whatever. I don't mean to sound unhelpful or ungracious, or, and truly, I am not unsympathetic or empathetic. But in terms of your eternal soul, I want to say this. Whatever. You need empowered living. You need the grace of forgiveness to forgive and to let go. We must understand that because otherwise we are standing in direct opposition to God. He's saying, I'm sending my son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I'm sending my son that all may know forgiveness, may all may press the reset button, all may begin again. But you're saying, nah, not that one because he's a, well, I won't tell you because you're God. I'm not going to use the language that I'm... No, let it go. Seek God's forgiveness. Because you're saying, God, you know, I like this forgiveness thing. Yeah, very good, but not that one. I fear for you. I fear for you. We have to begin by examining our hearts and if we're holding any bitterness and resentment against anyone. Some of you are even going to have to go home and think and pray about it and wrestle with this and probably get some sleepless nights, but probably going to write, have to get up and write a letter or drop an email to somebody saying, look, I just want you to know I forgive you. And don't make it an opportunity and say, but. 
I forgive you everything. But stop it. If we're going to be a redemptive people, if we're going to make the difference and be the difference, if we're going to be blessed and be a blessing, if we're going to grow in grace and be an empowered people, we must be good news at the very core of our being. We must not judge, and we must forgive. We must forgive. The second thing, and these perhaps a little bit more familiar, devote yourselves to prayer, Colossians 4.2. I'm not going to major on this. We've done a major series on praying. But devote yourself to prayer in every which way you can. Yeah, there's no substitute, I don't think, for finding time to be with God. Now, when you do that, maybe it's on the train when other people are listening to their iPods or whatever, you may just stare out the window and as you go to work in the morning and, and pray. You may find a little space during your lunch hour to slip into some little Anglican chapel in the city and pray. Whatever. Pray, pray, pray. Pray for our leaders, our politicians. Pray for this nation. We need God's help and grace. Pray for the church leaders. Pray for one another. Pray for your families. Pray for those things that are concerning you. That meeting that afternoon, that difficult conversation you're expected to have with the headmistress of the school because your son's playing up. Whatever. Pray for all of those things. 1 Peter encourages and says, bring all your cares and concerns before God because he cares for you. Don't say, oh, you're far too busy. God's busy in, in Nice or God's busy in Turkey. You know, he's not going to be bothered. I had a friend from my car club email me yesterday and said, please, it's very, very, uh, you know, it's kind of a personal thing. I can't say too much. But basically, he emailed me privately and just said, Chris, will you pray, please, for my sister-in-law? And, and he thought that it would help if I prayed. And I'd be delighted. I was delighted to pray. And I wrote out a prayer for him and all the rest of it. But you pray. It's your prayers he covets. It's your prayers. He loves the prayers of the high and mighty, but he, he covets your prayers. And they may not be very clever, and they may not be very verbiose, and they may not sound very religious, and you may think, well, God's not going to listen to that. Do it. Pray in all circumstances, because he loves you. And that's what fellowship with Jesus is about. You would share your heart with your best friend, you would share your heart with your spouse. Why not your savior? Come on now, church. Come on. Thirdly, again, no, no prizes for this. Devote yourselves. <clears throat> uh, let his word dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16 and many other verses. Spend time in the word of God. If you're struggling with that, get a little daily Bible thing. We have a wonderful app on our a wonderful um, facility. What do you call it? It's on our app, isn't it? Wonderful app on our, Bible, thank you, Bible reading thing. If, if you're very busy, I mean, Flissy does this, my wife does this, you can have it on audio. So she'll be putting a lippy on. And there's, you know, Ezekiel, repent or be damned, you know, going on. <laughs> it's a little early in the day for me, you know. But it seems to work fine for her, you know. Um, seriously, we're doing everything we can to try and help you with this. We've got to be a people of the word. I love the fact that bookstores told me that uh, a couple of weeks ago when I said, look, please, I, you know, I have a smart device. I have you know, an iPad. I read my, the word often that frequently, but I still have paper Bibles. 
And I love the fact that there was a bit of a run on Bibles that morning. You know, it's good to have a paper Bible. You can mark it up and you can do what you like with it. But, but you know, let's, let's be a people of the word. Let people say, let others say of the Vineyard Church, oh yeah, they worship, but they're a people of the word. Let's do that. And the last thing, and I'm just going to spend a moment longer on this, is this. Set your hearts on heaven. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. And I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can find that. Yeah, here we go. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4. Since you've been raised with Christ, since you have fellowship with Christ, since you've not settled for anything less than Christ himself, since you've not parked in religiosity, since you've not settled for the, you know, parked in that place of presence, since you've pushed on through into fellowship with Christ, and if you haven't done that yet, please do that this morning. Please just, I'll say a little prayer at the end of the service, but just go down and give your life to Christ. Take that next step. But it goes on here. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. You know, when you're baptized, what we believe is we die to self and we rise to Christ. Does that mean we don't sin again? No. We can still get in a terrible muddle, and I'm being polite. But the truth of the matter is, as far as the Spirit is concerned, we've passed from death to life. And that's something to cherish. And that's something to share. And that's something to grow in and to appreciate and give thanks for. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. You see, we are passing through, as I'm fond of saying, this life. This isn't it. We're passing through. And sometimes my experience has been that Christians go through just as many difficult and terrible things as non-Christians do. They go through sickness. They have terrible accidents. And thank God that the Lord preserved Rich's life when he flew over the handlebars, not wearing a helmet and um, hit the deck. Our marriages and the marriages of our loved ones and children suffer and struggle and sometimes don't make it. We have all of those things. But we will have one other thing. We have the presence and fellowship of a loving Savior who reminds us that although this life, this world seems to be all-consuming, in fact, we're just passing through. We're just passing through. So Paul says, set your minds on heavenly things. Don't ever lose sight of that. And I have spent most of my life, in my personal devotions, struggling to, to live in that place. And I have observed over the years that it needs, it needs that we start with humility. You know, the forgiveness thing is often a, a humbling of self. <clears throat> we need to come before God not thinking we're the answer to all his problems, but actually that, that he's the answer to all our problems. There is a humility that's needed. We need to be grateful. We need to practice gratitude. We need to keep coming before God and thanking him. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And did I say thank you? We need to... Keep asking him for his Holy Spirit to empower us 
and we need to embrace hope when all around us are despairing. Not that we might be foolishly and cockily optimistic. Not to prevent us engaging with those who are weeping and struggling. But that we carry with us that, that light that only Christ can be, bring. And that we foster that and we grow in fellowship with Christ. And in doing so, we, found ourselves, we find ourselves empowered. Amen. Did you get that? Nod enthusiastically. Good. Thank you. Let's have the band up. Let's just stand to pray. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord God, that grace is more than a, a ticket to salvation. It's a passport for living. And Lord God, we, we want to do more than just attend church. We want to model. We want to be a city on a hill. We want to be a community of ordinary people with ordinary struggles and difficulties, but, but a people that are nonetheless growing in Christ in a way that is thoroughly redemptive and thoroughly authentic. So we ask your grace and your mercy and your help and your blessing and your forgiveness for those of us who have not pushed on past the presence and are still splashing in the shallows, Lord, may they strike out to the deep, the deep that is your love, the deep that is you, Jesus, the deep and profound thing we call a relationship and fellowship with Christ. Lord God, in order to qualify, all we need to do is come in humility and gratitude and say, Lord, forgive us, cleanse us and fill us. And so, Lord, I ask now that for any of us here who have yet to make that first step commitment, I pray now, Lord God, that you would forgive our sins and that this day would be the first day of a new life for us, a life living in fellowship and exploring fellowship with you. And so bless us as we seek to be the community of people you want us to be, and we ask it all in Jesus' name and for his glory. And everyone said, Amen. <laughs>